0: Welcome to the Church. You're listening to this week's message. July 2nd, Pastor Chris Melvin. Happy New Year's Eve. Well, if y'all are anything like Candy and I, the, the excitement about staying up till midnight went away a long time ago. We discovered it shows up either way, even if you go to bed at 9.30. Uh, so we've seen quite a few New Year's that way. Well, this morning, before we get into the Word, I just wanted to to share something with you that I also shared with you at the beginning of the year last year. And it's just an encouragement to get into the Word uh, every day of the year. If it's not something that you already have a habit of doing, uh, just consider it. Uh, One of the things that I use is a tool called DailyAudioBible.com it's a website that you can go to and uh, you can it's got a smartphone app so you can uh, get it whether you've got a smartphone or iphone or whatever and uh, it gives you options to listen to the bible every day and it gives you a reading from the old testament and the new testament uh psalms and proverbs and if you go there every day at the end of the year you'll have gone through the whole bible uh, it also has a place you can go and and just read through the bible you pick the day and it'll give you the words that you can read through and and Break it up. And there's plenty of other options out there. Lots of reading plans. Many Bibles have them in the book. And so just whatever works for you, just consider uh, looking into something like that. I've done it for uh, more years than I can remember now. And there's something about just going through the Word and having the Word pour over you. And in this case, spoken over you. Um, and it, it works. It transforms. It does things that you don't uh, even realize are being done because it's the Word of God. And and it's just something that you will see your life transformed just by continuing to pour uh, the word into your life. So I'd really uh, recommend that you you find something that works for you to seek God and and open His word every day. And uh, this today, as I listened to to the word through the, this application, uh, He finished up uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and Psalms and Proverbs. And tomorrow we'll start in Genesis one. And there's just even something. In that sense of feeling, we're wrapping up this year and we wrapped up the Bible. And I know tomorrow as I start a new year, I'm going to start in Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, fresh again in the word and with the Lord. And just know that by the end of this year, we'll, you know, God willing, we'll have gone through through it again and know that that he's continually active at work through his word. Uh, so just wanted to recommend that to you to to consider. <clears throat> now for Philippians. Pastor Darrell asked y'all last week if you were here if you would read Philippians chapter 1 and next week if you want to prepare you can read Philippians chapter 2. If you'll turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 we'll get there in a moment but before we do I just want to talk to you a little bit about our perspective. How we look at things a little different from one another and if you've uh, walk through life very much at all, you know that you look at things different from the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. And we have different perspectives, and you, you've probably even found that you have different perspectives when you look at something, even the Word of God now as opposed to last year or five years ago or ten years ago. We we can read the Scripture, the same Scripture that we've read over and over, and it says something different to us today than it did then because God's doing something different. We've learned new things, and so we have a different perspective And I found that as I studied Philippians, it was almost kind of humorous to read all the different theologians and commentaries and things on Philippians to find out they didn't agree even on the big idea. You know, as as pastors and when you learn to prepare messages or really any kind of speaking, they'll tell you, you know, you should have a big idea or a thought or a purpose of a presentation. And a lot of the books of the Bible, people will say, well, they've got that kind of big idea around them. But you have these people who know the word, who know the Bible, and they come to these books and they come up with a different big idea. Uh, so just for an example, some of the big ideas for Philippians is that it's about joy, Or it's about the mind of Christ. One one theologian boldly proclaimed first and foremost, he's he's staking his reputation on it. First and foremost, Philippians is about Christian unity. Someone else said it's about Thanksgiving. It's about suffering. It's about the relationship between God's grace and works or the church's relationship to the fallen world around us. Or it's about. A clear presentation of the gospel in Christ himself. And the true thing is, it's about all those things. You can read Philippians and you'll find all of those things in it. And depending on what God and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you uh, today as you read his word, if you were to write a commentary, you would walk away and say, that's what God wanted to speak out of Philippians. Because that's what he's speaking to you today. But all of those things can be found in it. And there's something that uh, as we are about to embark in a new year and what this year may hold for each of us, I felt God highlight something specifically to me. But it's an underlying principle in Philippians that's not as clear as all of those. And I didn't mention it yet. And we're going to get to that in a moment. What I believe God's speaking to us to take out of Philippians is we're about to step into this new year. But before we do that, I want to present a scenario to you. Uh, And this is something that if you've lived much life at all, we have all encountered these types of scenarios at some point in our life, either with other people or in our own life. And some of those scenarios involve great suffering. People in deep anguish. And some of those circumstances could include uh, losing a job. Or maybe they lost their home. This year, uh, you know, in Houston, they had floods and many people lost their homes to floods. In California, we had the, the wildfires and many people lost their homes to the wildfires. That's a big uh, amount of suffering for those families to encounter and endure. People may at some point in their life have lost a spouse or, God forbid, a child. Or maybe you've come across someone who's just lost their entire sense of purpose. They don't know why they're here. They don't know why God created them. Maybe they don't have any relationship with God whatsoever, but they have no sense of purpose. And they're at a place of deep suffering and deep anguish. And you either are experiencing this yourself or you've encountered someone who is experiencing this. And you want some words of comfort, some words of wisdom, whether to offer or to get for yourself on how do you get through this suffering. What do you say? What do you do? What can be spoken to you or what can you offer them? And maybe the only thing that comes to mind is something you've heard said before by others. Something like the Bible promises God won't ever give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard of that before? Well, did you know that's conventional wisdom masquerading as a biblical truth? The Bible doesn't say that. There's no place in the Bible that says God will never give us more than we can handle. It's actually uh, quite the opposite if you make a practice about studying His Word. It's actually a twist of truth that comes from 1 Corinthians 10:13, And this will be up on your screen. Paul, who also wrote Philippians, he wrote in Corinthians, "...no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man." God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So He was talking about temptation, not about trials or struggles or anything of that nature, but about temptation. And even, even in temptation, it says that He will also provide the way of escape. So you can't even escape the temptation unless he provides the way. So even in that, it's a lie to say, well, God expects us to get through temptation on our own. That you can do on your own because he's never going to give you more than you can bear. No, he's going to provide a way if you're with him in that moment and seeking him. God will make a way out of that temptation for you. So God has never promised that we won't face more than we can handle. To the contrary, we see over and over That what he promises us is a life far more than we could ever handle. But he will be with us in the midst of it. That's what he promises. And his promise is that there's nothing he can't handle. And this is the idea that I want to tackle today, this morning, as we look at Philippians chapter 1. And as we stand together about to face a new year. As an individual, for me personally, for my family, for our church, for our community, for our world. The last thing I would ever want is a life that I could handle. A life that we could handle. A life that we could, as a church, handle on our own. My desire is for a life that only God can handle. That he gives this church something, uh, a calling to do that only he can handle. He's he's given the church of Christ, the body of Christ throughout the world, a mission that only he can handle. There's not a person alive today anywhere in the world that has a life that they could handle on their own. Every single one of us has been given a life that we cannot handle on our own. It can only be handled with God in that moment, ever present, taking us through this life because we can't do it on our own. Salvation's not through our own works. Our life uh, can't be lived to the fullness of what He's called us to in our own strength. Only by His grace and power can we live the life that He's called us to lead because we can't handle it. Some of the defining themes in Philippians are joy and thanksgiving. And you would think uh, that the... Paul must have wrote this uh, laying in a hammock as the sun was setting, watching the ocean. Not a care in the world. Nothing was going on that was uh, contrary because he was so happy. He was so filled with joy. How could he have had any problems going on in his life for him to pin this if he could handle it in his own strength? And the answer is he couldn't. He wasn't walking through his daily life in his own strength. He was walking in a life that only God could handle. But because he was walking with God, he could be in that moment, in that trial, in that struggle, and be joyful and be thankful and be who he was because God was handling it. And that's what we're going to look at in Philippians because he was living a life and writing this letter of joy and thankfulness to the Philippians from a prison cell under guard With a possible death sentence looming over his head. That's where Philippians was written from. And we're going to read it this morning. If you'll, if you already have it, or if you can turn to Philippians chapter one, verse one, we'll look at it together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. He's praying from joy just in the thought of of this church, in the work that God's doing in their life. He's full of joy from a prison cell. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, the church at Philippi was the first church to support Paul financially and the one that supported him the most throughout his ministry. And then he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So this is part of the unity that we find in in Philippians. Paul's saying you're partakers with me of grace, even in my imprisonment. Verse eight, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. My imprisonment, me being in this cell right now, is advancing the gospel of Christ. I'm not complaining. I'm not looking at my circumstances. All that I see is the work of Christ being done. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That doesn't make sense. That's not in your own strength. That's not in your own ability. You don't see your friend who's speaking the gospel get arrested and tortured and put in prison and then say, you know what? That makes me feel like going out and preaching, too. I'm going to go share the gospel because maybe that could happen to me, too. So that makes me more encouraged. That's what Paul's saying. My imprisonment has given them encouragement to be more bold. Because they're not living in their own strength. They're not living in what they can endure. They're not living in their own power. They're living under the power of God and he's with them in every circumstance. And somehow that makes them more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretence or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's saying, "Some people are doing this out of evil motives. some people are doing it for the right reason, but either way, Christ is being proclaimed, and I rejoice. He's not concerned about what other people are doing and what it's going to make him look like. All he knows is Christ's word is being proclaimed because it's a work that only God can do. And God's doing the work just like he planned. And he planned to do that work for me sitting in this prison cell. And it's making all my uh, brothers around me more bold to proclaim the word of God. And Christ is being preached. So I'm happy and I rejoice in it because God's at work. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know, verse 19, that. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whether I live or die, Christ is going to be proclaimed. He's going to be victorious. It's bigger than me. This isn't about my ambition, my life, what I want to accomplish. This is about Christ. And whether I live or die, Christ is going to be proclaimed. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may find ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm. Here's more unity. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. So our persecution is a sign of their destruction. Again, it doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense in the natural. It doesn't make sense in what we can handle or do. It only makes sense when it's something that only God can do and that God is doing. And then he says, and that from God, for it has been granted to you, verse 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We're going to come back to those last three verses in a moment, but there's two things that I want to point out to ...to you this morning that go back to that statement about God not giving you more than you can handle. And there's two two other lies about that beyond the fact, again, that like we said a minute ago, God never made that promise. And the first thing is trials are not fair. We all long for trials that are fair. The saying that God will not give you more than you can handle strikes a tone of fairness that somehow we're drawn to that we that we think is fair... There's something pleasing about the idea that the scales are in balance, that God has assessed what we can handle, and he only permits trials accordingly. But there's a glaring problem with that fairness idea that undergirds this conventional wisdom, and that is God has already been unfair, if you look at his word, it's full of unfair scenarios. People put through circumstances that weren't fair. And most of all, it's unfair when it comes to the treatment of Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent sinless, perfect. Never did anything wrong, yet he has to take the burden of our sin, of everything that we've ever done. He took it upon himself. That's not fair. It's not fair. We didn't get what we deserved. If we wanted what's fair, we would all be in a lot worse situation than we think we are. However unfair you think it might be, it's far better, far more fair than what you deserve or what I deserve. We haven't got what we deserve because God isn't fair. God has been long-suffering with us. He's been forbearing. He's been gracious and abounds in love. He lets the sun shine and rain fall even on the unjust, according to Matthew 545. Then it says, God transcends the categories of fair and unfair to such a degree that we have no position to evaluate his actions or weigh his will. God transcends our idea of fairness. He's bigger than fair. We we can't comprehend the things that are going on in this world, or even in our own life, to decide what's fair or not fair. His ways aren't subject to our culture's standard of fairness. In Second Corinthians, Paul writes. Uh, Paul wrote Second Corinthians as well as Philippians. And in verse uh, in Second Corinthians chapter one eight through eleven eight through eleven we read something uh, that shows how unfair God really is. He says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Does that sound like a fair scenario that God wasn't giving Paul and his buddies something more than they could handle on their own? You know, he'd put it in the balance and said, oh, no, you guys can handle this. Paul says they were utterly burdened beyond their strength and despaired for their life. Verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Look at this, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. And this is another thing this morning that I want you to take away both from Corinthians and Philippians. It's mentioned over and over is prayer. I think we have far underestimated the value and power and strength that God does through our prayers. And over and over and over we read in the New Testament they were calling each other to pray for one another in their daily lives to give Get through circumstances that were utterly beyond their strength to bear. Then it ends with so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The second problem that we have with this idea is that it points us to a power within ourselves that doesn't exist. Suffering doesn't ask if you're ready. It may come slowly or with a vengeance, but it doesn't ask permission and it doesn't care about convenience. There's never a good day for your life to be wrecked. Did you ever wake up one morning and say, God, if there ever was a day, this is the day to just take it off. This is the day to just wreck my whole life because I'm I'm ready. You've prepared me. I know that today I could not have more than I could bear. Anybody ever asked? That told God, this is the day. No, because it doesn't exist. There's never going to be a day that we can handle in our own strength, in our own power. It only is with the power of God that he has said, I will be there with you. Because there's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing that he can't take. But this idea of that God's not going to give us more than we can handle puts the, puts the onus on us. That I can do this. I can handle this. If he gave it, if he put this on my plate, I've got to figure out some way to get through this. And it's a lie. It's pointing us inward to ourselves. God's truth points us to him. As the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, when our strength is failing under crushing burdens, the answer will not come from our own strength, because God gives power to the faint and increases the strength of the weak. Isaiah 40:29. The power comes from Him to those who wait on Him. If we're going to live under our circumstances, we're never going to have the joy or the peace that Paul talks about in Philippians. As we continue through Philippians, we're going to see joy in Thanksgiving. We're going to see unity. We're going to see perseverance. We're going to see the gospel. We're going to see Christ and much, much more. But the underlying principle that stands out to me today as we stand at this door of a new year is that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. John 15:5 but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength Philippians 4:13 And Philippians 1 ends with these words starting in verse 27 It has been gifted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. That word for granted also means given like a gift to do something pleasant or agreeable to do a favor to To gratify. To do something in kindness to. That's what that word, it has been granted to you means. It has been gifted to you. God is doing you a favor that for the sake of Christ, we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's a gift. Did anybody open that gift for Christmas? Anybody ask for that gift? It wasn't on my list. But it's literally a gift from God. And the reason that it's a gift from Him is because it's something only He can handle. He's saying, I want you to live a life, to have a life that's going to so glorify me, that's going to so go beyond anything that you could ask or imagine because I'm going to be there with you. There's nothing you're ever going to encounter that I can't handle. And I'm right there with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to leave your side. I am always with you. And you know what? You can't handle anything. The only reason you can breathe this breath right now is because God just gave it to you. You couldn't have tied your shoes this morning if it wasn't for the grace of God. Even the things that we think we can handle, we can't handle apart from God. We can't do anything in our own strength and ability. But we get so prideful and so arrogant and think, I can do this on my own. This, God, don't worry about this. I can handle this. And God says, oh, really? You know, good luck with that. But with him, we can be in prison, we can be beaten, we could, we could go through any illness, any sickness, any, uh, any circumstance whatsoever. And if we're with him, he's going to handle it. He's going to take care of it. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but Paul shows I can have joy and, and be in a great mood in any circumstance because Christ is present with me. And I'm in this circumstance, in this moment with him, and there's nothing he can't handle. And it's all about perspective. I was talking to somebody earlier uh, after the first service, and they told me about something they had encountered and, in their life. And they were in a, in a hospital, and their, their daughter was in open-heart surgery, and a good chance that she may not even make it through the surgery. And this is what she's going through. And then there's a lady walking through that was just losing it, on the phone and, uh, talking to somebody and just how this was horrible and she wasn't going to deal with this anymore and ridiculous, all the stuff the circumstances her kid was having, uh, needing their tonsils taken out. And, you know, she was just thinking, wow, you know, <laughs> if we could switch places, I'd, I'd gladly take your tonsils over, you know, this open heart surgery that I'm dealing with. But it doesn't, and she, she was very open. She was like, I wasn't judging that person. It was just, it's a difference of perspective. And when you think of your life now in this moment, how bad it is, think about a thousand years from now after you've been in heaven, looking back at whatever circumstance you had to go through. It's going to be of no importance. It was little. It's all little. In the presence of God, it's all little. He transcends fair. He transcends everything that we could think that we put around a circumstance because he can handle it all. And in his perspective, we can look back at the biggest circumstance in our life or the littlest circumstance in our life and say, you know what, God? You were there and that's all I needed. It was enough because you were present in worship. God reminded me of James 1 16. It said, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And what I felt like he spoke to me in the worship was they're all good gifts. Everything, every circumstance in your life is a good gift from the Father of lights that he's given you. It's a gift. Just like Paul said, he's gifted us the ability to suffer just like Christ did. To suffer just like Paul did, to suffer just like the rest of the disciples did, to suffer like every person that we're told about in this book was able to do, not because it was fun and they enjoyed it, but because God was with them. He was present in their circumstance in every moment, and he said, I'll be there with you. And that's my desire for my life, for my family's life, for this congregation, for this city, for the world, is that God will give us a year in 2018, that it's a year that only he can handle. That he gives us a life that only he can handle. Because whether we ask for it or not, you've already got it. There's not anyone in this world that doesn't have a life that they can't handle. They may be deceived into thinking they can, but they can't. And if they don't know God, they're never going to be able to handle anything in this life or the next. Only he can handle it. So we might as well own up to it and receive it. It's, it's almost kind of scary to, to say, OK, God, give me things I can't handle because we fear. There's fear in us that says, well, what does that mean? What kind of situations will I be put in? What kind of circumstances I'm going to, and will I have to go through? Well, the truth is you're going to go through them anyway. And God's going to be with you anyway, whether you acknowledge his presence or not. He's right there with you. And all you have to do is say, God, I acknowledge your presence. I know you're here and I'm going to be joyful in this circumstance because you've given me a gift to show the world around me, to show my family what only you can do. The last week, Pastor Darrell showed the picture of of Emily's uh, brain tumor where there was a tumor there. And on the new scan, it's just gone. The doctors were done. They said there was nothing else can do. And God did something that only he can do. We prayed for Peyton earlier. Whatever God does in Peyton's life, it's something that only he can do. Only he can take him from this world to the next. Only he could heal him and give him more time on earth. Whatever it is, it's something that only he can do. But there's a life and a glory and a witness that God can do in that situation that only he can do. And there's something that he can only do through you in your life and in your circumstances. And that's what we need to be praying for, for ourselves, for this body, and for the church as a whole. That God will do a work in 2018 that only he can do. Because there's no there's no value or or anything that we would aspire to that we could accomplish on our own. Who wants to go somewhere where you can get there on your own? I want to go somewhere that only God can take us. Where can God take us? He can take us anywhere. He can take us anywhere. And he's shown that over and over through his word. Things that don't make sense. Taking the the children of Israel through, through the middle of a sea. Providing food out of nowhere. Just over and over. Jesus healing a blind man by spitting in the mud and rubbing it on a guy's eyes. It doesn't make sense. Nothing that God does makes sense because it's stuff that we couldn't do in our own strength, in our own ability. It's something only he can do. And we can step into that by by listening to his word, being before him, and presenting ourselves to be used by him in every circumstance that he places us in. And this morning, I want us to just take a few moments. We've got a few minutes left. I want to close in prayer, and we'll have the the prayer teams up here. Uh, If you need prayer, you can come. But just a few minutes, I want you to pray in your seats. That we would pray that as we start off 2018, that we'll pray for each other, for our church, our community, our families, and that our prayer would be that in all of these areas, that we would ask God for a year, only he can handle And that we'll give him all the glory and honor and power and praise because we know there's no way that these things would be accomplished. There's no way the works and the things that he does in our life would be accomplished if it wasn't for his strength and his power. And I believe he will show himself mighty. He will come through on our behalf. He has over and over and over. And his word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he's gifted us. He's granted to us. Through his kindness and mercy that for the sake of Christ, we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And I am sure of this, that as Philippians, as we read in Philippians one, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God started the work and he's going to finish the work. He takes he takes ownership and control of every part. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we give you this year. We give you our families. We present our lives to you as living sacrifices, Father, to be used by you in any way that you see fit, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would never, never, ever, ever in any moment, in any circumstance, forget that you are in that moment. That you are ever present. That you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. You are with us. And there is nothing that you can't handle. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no addiction. There's no sin. There's nothing in our life that you can't handle. There's nothing that you haven't already paid the price for. It's all done. Or we can read the end of the book in Revelation. You've won. In your eyes, you see, the, you see the beginning and the end, Lord, and it's done. And we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. And we pray, Lord, that in every situation we see your perspective. That we see it from your eyes. And in that moment, Father, we can have joy. We can give you thanks. We can give you praise. And that every person we encounter will look at our lives and say, that's not possible. You can't go through that and be happy. You can't go through that and have joy. But we'll be able to say it's because you're with us. That my God has never left me. My God has never forsaken me. He is with me even in this moment of whatever the circumstance that we will point to you, Lord, and that you will do a work that only you can do. It won't be because of what we say. It won't be because of what we do. It will be because in them you do a work that only you can do, Lord. Father, we pray for our children, Lord. I pray for adult children that have walked away from You, Lord. Lord, there's people in this congregation who have prayed for their children for years, Lord. And we pray that You do a work in their life that only You can do. They can't fix it. They can't do it, Lord, but You can. Father, I pray for addictions, Lord. I pray that there would be addictions broken uh, this morning, Lord, in lives of people that are present right now because You can do it. They can't do it in their strength. They can't do it by their will, Father, but You can do it. Lord, I pray against generational curses and generational sins, Lord. Lord, they can't break free. They've tried, but they can't do it, but You can, Lord. I pray for You to do a work in them that only You can do and that everyone around them will see, Lord, and give You the praise and give You the glory and honor because You have done a work that only You can do. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to NewCovenantLampasses.com